Thank you for listening to the Love Your Bod Pod. Before we dive in, just my usual disclaimer that this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only and does not substitute individual, professional, medical, or mental health advice. Welcome back to the Love Your Bod Pod. I'm your host, Kara Crincefelli. I'm a certified holistic health coach, and I am at Kara's Kitchen on Instagram and kitchen.net is my website. I work with people one-on-one and in groups. And today we have a really intelligent, well-spoken guest with us. Her name is Naomi and she is at Diet Culture Sucks on Instagram. And I'm really excited for you guys to hear what we talk about. We cover a lot of varying topics and I think she brings some fresh energy and insights to the podcast, and I think you're really going to love it. So let's just dive right in. Welcome back to the Love Your Bod pod. Today, we have a lovely guest with us. Her name is Naomi, and she is a former marathoner and diet culture dropout who chronicles her experiences with eating disorders, exercise addiction, dieting, and binge eating on Instagram at Diet Culture Sucks. She writes to share the things she wished she'd learn a whole lot earlier in her recovery journey. When she's not being a full-time student or running her blog, she loves spending time with friends, geeking out about political things, and solo traveling. Naomi, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited. Yeah, I'm totally stoked to have you um, on as well. And I was just telling Naomi before we hit the record button that I had asked one of my friends um, and a prior participant in my coaching program who she would recommend me to interview on the podcast and she recommended Naomi and I was like oh funny we're I'm interviewing her in two days so you're insta famous is what I'm saying (laughs) so how's your day paint the picture for us where are you right now um so I'm in St. Louis I'm a senior in college actually and I study political science um at school and yeah, I'm, I'm in this world because I started an Instagram account in March of uh, 2018 called Diet Culture Sucks. And that's been um, a really important space for me to kind of chronicle my recovery from eating disorders and from diet culture and really just share the things that I've learned along the way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're very outspoken and so authentic and um, a voice that so many women relate to. Um, So I want to share with you a quote that I've really been inspired with lately, and then we'll dive into the interview, okay? Awesome. So you may be 38 years old, as I happen to be, and one day some great opportunity stands before you and calls you to stand up for some great principle, some great issue, some great cause, and you refuse to do it because you are afraid. You refuse to do it because you want to live longer. You're afraid that you will lose your job you are, or you're afraid that you'll be criticized or that you will lose your popularity or you're afraid that somebody will stab you or shoot at you or bomb your house. So you refuse to take a stand. Well, you may go on and live until you are 90, but you're just as dead at 38 as you, may, as you would be at 90. And the secession of breathing in your life is but the belated announcement of an early death of the spirit. And that is by Martin Luther King. So Naomi, Naomi, you popped onto the Instagram scene with such a loud, unapologetic voice committed to squashing the lies of diet culture. Can you tell us about what had you finally decide to speak up so boldly, even if it's unpopular and goes against the grain of conventional thinking? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I love that quote and very timely for MLK um, day. Um, you know, so really everything that I do on my account and everything that I talk about is for my 15 year old self. And I really try to frame everything in the context of what did I need to hear, you know, when I was 15 and I was so lost and confused and struggling with food, um, in a way that I didn't even know what I needed. Um, and, you know, I want my 15 year old self to know that you don't have to feel crazy around food and that counting calories in your head every day isn't normal. Um, and you don't have to live like that. And you can trust your body and you can even grow to love and appreciate a body that doesn't look like, you know, the body that you see everywhere in magazines. Um, you know, and I want to challenge all of the women's magazines and doctors comments and comments from parents and high school girls and just kind of show my former self and people in that position that there is another way. Um, and, you know, frankly, in my opinion, if we're not speaking boldly about these things, we're not getting our message across because diet culture is bold in our society. Um, diet culture is loud and proud and really the dominant way of thinking. And so I think it's really important to be very clear about where I stand and, um, you know, and this account was also part of my own healing journey. And at least at first and still today, I often posted about things that I really needed to hear right then. Um, and so I post them to kind of reaffirm the little voice in my head that was saying, I know this is the right way, but I'm struggling right now. Um, you know, and just like diet culture, eating disorder voices are very loud and they're very good at taking over your brain. And I think if I'm putting out kind of lukewarm messages, uh, you know, they're not really going to counteract the, the voices that I know a lot of people are struggling with that kind of lead me, lead them to my account. And yeah, so a facet of kind of my job as I see it on my account is to really say like you have complete permission to eat, you have permission to eat whatever, you have permission to eat whenever, um, and really trying to let people know that there's another way, um, to feel around food. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really loved that you had said that you were speaking for your 15 year old self. And I think that, um, that's part of the reason why your message is so potent and so clear and so loud and so bold is because you're actually really clear about who you're speaking to, you know? And then as a, as a really beautiful ripple effect of that, there's lots of little 15 year olds in all of us that need to hear this. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. And it was really kind of my, my own struggles, you know, that, that led me to wanting to, to talk about it. And I can talk about that a little bit. Um, yeah, of course, please. Yeah. So, you know, I was, I was always a choir kid. I didn't do a lot of, I'm, I'm very anti-competitive. So I never really did sports or any of that. It didn't appeal to me. Um, so, you know, I am kind of a chubby kid and um, kind of leading into high school, I started, I decided I was going to start exercising more regularly. And, you know, that was good. I would go on bike rides and jump on the trampoline. And then gradually I figured, oh, okay, well, I'm reading all these magazines that say bread is bad. Maybe I'll start eating less bread. And, um, you know, so I wouldn't have the hamburger bun and I would kind of say no to the bread basket on the table. And so basically starting with very benign kind of behaviors and it just kind of gradually became more and more restrictive 
um, and rigid. Um, and definitely when I started out, I was very much praised for those behaviors. You know, my mom, oh, it's so great that you're exercising. You know, that was something they'd kind of pushed me to do um, for a while. Um, and I was losing weight. And um, so my family's from Idaho, but we, I grew up in Seattle and we go back there a lot. And so we'd go back, you know, every three months and people would say, you look so great. Like you look so much older, you look so much better. <laughs> like things where I hadn't really been thinking that I didn't look old or good or whatever I wanted to look like. Um, but once someone compliments you, compliments can be, you know, a two-edged sword because they're also kind of denigrating the way that you looked before. Um, so yeah, so just kind of getting a lot of that reinforcement for these behaviors kind of just led me to intensify them and become even stricter. Um, and I was also going into a new high school, moving from a class of like seven girls, that was our whole class in ninth grade, to 500 people who, you know, I didn't know. Um, so in retrospect, I can see a lot of the other factors that kind of were at play there. Yeah. 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 I think transition times are often times that disordered eating behavior will develop or spiral. Um, yeah, absolutely. I loved what you said about compliments. So I just, my, I just recorded a podcast episode 23, all about compliments and how, um, like you said, they're a double-edged sword. Like they might feel good for the moment, but they have, they can kind of leave really sticky residue and reinforce harmful behaviors. Right. And especially, yeah, especially around weight or appearance. Um, well, particularly weight because weight fluctuates. And if someone is complimenting your weight loss, it is likely that you will gain the weight back later and then feel even worse. You know, that's something we can go into. But basically, um, so kind of my behaviors had spiraled. And by um, the time I was 15, I, I went to this new doctor and she basically freaked out and told me I was anorexic. And I didn't really even understand what that meant. Um, I was very confused. Um, the way that my parents and doctor decided to deal with it was to just kind of say, gain a pound a week and, and then we won't take away your car. Um, which was not a great way of dealing with any of the underlying behaviors or problems that were underneath why I had lost the weight. Um, and I remember also being very confused because I felt like I was getting a lot of praise for these behaviors and suddenly everything that I was doing was wrong and I had a disorder and I didn't really understand where I crossed the line or what I had done wrong and what was different. Um, you know, cause these were the same things I did them over and over and eventually my weight got low enough that suddenly, you know, a five alarm fire bell went off, um, but yeah, that was, that was very confusing for me. Um, now, basically, so we kind of did that and I had to figure out on my own how to gain weight so that all of my, you know, so I had freedom. Um, and I didn't know how to eat during the day. Um, I was terrified. And so it turned into this situation where I would eat the restrictive things that I'd been eating during the day. And then after night, I would at you know, after dinner, I would just have this huge binge because I'd freak out that I wasn't going to gain weight if I just ate that much during the day, but I had to. And so I'd binge. Um, and I just, I didn't know how to eat during the day and be okay with myself. So I ended up kind of gaining weight through binge eating, um, 
to the point where my weight got to a place where my parents said, okay, we can stop weighing you now. Um, and so at that point I was like, okay, they said they can stop weighing me, I'm recovered. Um, so that was probably when I was 17. And I basically considered myself recovered until recently. Um, so from 17 to 22 or so. Um, and I still had all these issues with food. You know, I was binge eating frequently. I went on diets. Um, you know, I did paleo, I did whole 30, I did intermittent fasting. Um, I saw those as very normal things, um, because people around me were doing them because mainstream sources were recommending them. Um, but you know, like I said, binge eating, um, exercise addiction, these were all just pretty normal parts of my life. And I didn't see them as connected to the eating disorder that I'd had. I just thought, oh, that was a thing that I had when I was a high schooler, I'm recovered now, and you know, I just can't eat sugar and not hate myself, but like, that's normal. Um, and it really took me a while um, to admit that my restrictive eating that was, was a problem that went way beyond the brief time in high school, and it had plagued me and been the cause of my binge eating and been the cause of my anxiety about my body for much longer. And that's the realization that I kind of had about probably a year and a half ago. Mm. How did you get to that realization? Because you're right. Everything you mentioned is super normal. And in the very beginning, you said that you want to tell yourself that counting calories is not normal. I actually think that counting calories is really fucking normal in our mm -hmm. world. It's just not natural and it's unnecessary and it's super problematic. So yeah, how that's an important distinction. I would definitely agree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like, how, how did you have this realization? It's such a profound realization. Yeah. And um, you grew up with Instagram because you're a lot younger than me. Like I didn't have Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. And, and that was actually where I learned about body positivity. Um, and that's also why I enjoy and, and looked to Instagram in terms of having a presence um, in the recovery um, sphere. Um, but yeah, I found Body Positive Panda on Instagram through, you know, the magic algorithm and, and started following her. And um, I think sometimes I, I talk about this a lot where I put out a message about recovery and about having a normal relation, relationship with food. And I don't think people, you can follow that until you're ready. I think everyone has to be ready on their own terms before they're willing to accept that. So I followed Body Positive, Body Positive Panda for like two years probably before I started to take what she was saying seriously and started to do more of my own research and say, okay, maybe I should read her book. Maybe I should read these articles that she's writing. Maybe I should follow these other people that she's posting about. Um, cause I wasn't ready. Um, and I wasn't ready to see that I still had, um, disordered behaviors and mindset. So I just, I think it, we are all, all on our own timelines. And, um, for me, it took me a long time of kind of being tangentially knowledgeable about body positivity before I was ready to kind of apply the lessons of, you know, health at every size, intuitive eating, et cetera. Um, to my life. So, but, but that really came through Instagram. Um, I would say a turning point would be uh, last, about a year ago, um, I was struggling with a really bad kind of like bout of binge eating. And sometimes that happens in waves, you know, I won't struggle for a while and then I really will. And at that point, um, I had read Health at Every Size the semester before. I had read some eating disorder recovery books. And every time that I'd had a bad kind of bout binge eating, I, that was always when I started to new that was like, okay, like this is it. I'm going to, I'm trying intermittent fasting. That was the most recent thing. 
And this time I just, there was too much in my brain that was saying, I don't think another diet's the answer. And I decided, you know, I'm not doing another diet this time. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to try to ride the wave. Um, but I'm not doing another diet to deal with my binge eating. And that was really scary and difficult. And because I wasn't turning to another diet, I immediately turned to body positive books. I was listening to three hours a day of, you know, Christy Harrison's food psych podcast, which was the only podcast that I knew about at the time. Um, you know, I kind of turned to a really intensive study of these topics because I was really struggling and I needed the dieting is not the answer reinforced consistently every day for a while. Um, yeah. 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 I, um, I really think that that is one of the beautiful things about Instagram is that you actually have access to control the media messages and to expose yourself to the, the dieting is not the answer message. And I think that it's really profound that you had this awareness to be like, I actually really think that going back to restriction isn't the solution. I've been going back to restriction for years. It's not working. I've got to try something else. Yeah. Yeah. That was exactly it. Um, yeah. And, and cause every time I just, I knew that I just ended up in the same place where I started. Yeah. And it never solved any of the underlying problems. So No, no. And you're right. People have to get to that place for themselves. Like, I really, really agree with what you said that like, you have to be ready. Like you have to be ready to do this work. Like you have to be ready to like face the culture, you know, and like embrace yourself. Like it's, it's challenging. We've been so programmed to think one way. So you're right. Everyone's on their own path. Yeah, and I try to put out a pretty aggressive anti-diet message, but I want to I want people to know that I'm not judging them. I'm not I'm not someone who I'll go to lunch with someone and like judge what they eat or tell them they should be getting a burger when they get, you know, a veggie dish. <laughs> like I don't care, but I'm really happy with the way that I live my life right now and I want other people to know that it is an option. Yeah. Um when they're ready for it. And I'm not going to judge you for staying in diet culture. I know that it's tempting. You know, I was tempted by it for five years. Many other people have been in diet culture for much longer. Um, you know, I think you'd agree, but we're not here to say like, you're wrong. You're making the wrong choices. Um, but we're here to say there is another option. And when you're ready for it, we want to show you that, that it can be a really incredible way of living your life. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think that that's a beautiful way of saying it. It's just, there's another option. Like you don't have to keep dieting. Like there's another option. It's a really awesome option and you're right. It's here for you when you're ready. Um, so I wanted to ask your opinion about something that I hear a lot come up in the body positive community. And that is that a lot of people will say intentionally losing weight is not body positive. Some, um, actually argue uh, that like they want to lose weight for health reasons. So can't they still be po- body positive and lose weight? But where's the line drawn? Like, is there space for people to be body positive and still want to lose weight? Because a lot of people will feel shamed for being in a larger body and then like also shame for wanting to be smaller. So what do you say to this? Like, what are your thoughts? I'd love to know your opinion. Yeah. I mean, so first of all, I think the answer is never putting more shame on individuals for their choices and thoughts. Um, I think the point is to draw awareness about awareness to the culture that makes us want to always lose weight. Um, but the answer is never, Oh, you're wrong for feeling that. Um, I think to be fully body positive, you have to not endorse or support intentional weight loss. And 
it's very, and, and I'll just say at the outset, weight loss, weight gain, these are things that um, body positivity is neutral towards. Um, I think it's the pursuit of intentional weight loss that's negative. And there have been times, I mean, I don't have a scale or track my weight, but based on how my clothes, but like, I know my weight has fluctuated in the last year and I'm very neutral towards that. Um, but body positivity, I think you have to be against intentional weight loss, like the, I'm going to lose weight, so I'm going to do these behaviors. Um, because not only, you know, have we shown that that's harming your, your relationship with yourself, your relationship with food, um, but it also harms other people who are in larger bodies because it perpetuates this message that their bodies are wrong and that if your body looks like, you know, it is larger or looks like, you know, a before picture, then you should be pursuing, like, looking different. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I care less about what people think and more about what they post online. And I ultimately, let's say that secretly I thought that I wanted to lose weight. You know, you would never know that from my account. And it ultimately, it doesn't really matter. Now, I don't think that. But the point is, I have a bigger problem with people um, you know, if that's something that someone struggles with internally, I have a bigger problem with someone being like, this is a recovery account, but you can lose weight. Or like, this is a recovery account, but I'm still going to post before and after pictures and talk about how part of my recovery was, you know, involved weight loss at some point. Um, I just don't think that's a helpful or productive message. And again, it's not against their personal journey, but um, I think especially just in the eating disorder recovery and body positivity spaces, there's a lot of vulnerable people looking for answers and it's irresponsible to promote, to promote weight loss or to continue to hold up this picture of losing weight is better. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think that it is, it, um, it just contributes to the thin is better conversation, which is where a lot of our underlying, um, struggles come from. Uh, so yeah, that was a really beautiful answer. I agree with everything that you, um, said. And so that's I the thing about before and after pictures that are a problem. Some people may through their intuitive eating journey, lose weight. Like that might happen. And that again, totally neutral. Like that might be your body's positive response to something. But I still think even if you're talking about this is an internal transformation and I'm more at peace with my relationship with food, even if that's the message, posting a before and after photo that features weight loss is still harmful. Um, yeah. And I think we just have to be cognizant of that. And yeah, yeah it's subconscious, it's, sub it's subconscious subliminal messaging either way, you know, and it's, I would, I also on the topic, you're someone who posts a lot of pictures of your own body. And it, it, the way that I interpret it is that this empowers you to be able to post pictures of your body as it is being at peace with it. So can you just tell us a little bit about how that empowers you and how some people criticize people in the body positive space who don't post pictures of their bodies and they think that, oh, you're not body positive. You're not putting your body on display. What are your thoughts on that topic? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's extremely, you know, it's, it's, it's up to you whether or not you want to post pictures of yourself and no one should ever be feel compelled to or feel shamed that they're not. I think that's ridiculous. Um, for me personally, I started out posting pictures of my body and particularly my stomach because that had 
always been my biggest like insecurity. Um, you know, I started doing that because it helped me um, because I wasn't comfortable looking at my stomach. And I figured if I forced myself to take pictures of it, if I forced myself to put those pictures online, if I forced myself to continue to look at them because they showed up every time I opened my apps, um, that would help me. You know, it's exposure theory. It's hard to feel comfortable with something that you never see. I yeah. didn't feel comfortable with my body because I never really looked at the parts of my body that I was insecure about. Yeah. Um, so for me, that's been a really important and helpful thing. And I encourage people if they think that that, you know, if they're someone who like me never looked at their stomach or their thighs or something that they were insecure about and ignored it and has a lot of difficulty accepting that area of their body, I really encourage them to look and to take pictures and not necessarily share those pictures with anyone. Um, you know, before I had this uh, account, actually, I had just a Visco private album of pictures of my body with fun emojis and filters. And, um, you know, I decided to start putting some of them on an Instagram account to hold myself accountable to taking more of them. But I think even just having like a private file where like you can go and look at your body um, is really is important. And like you said, I do it because it empowers me and it helps me be comfortable with myself. But that definitely is not everyone's cup of tea and doesn't need to be. Yeah. Yeah. Totally agree with you. That's beautiful. Um, okay. So I'd love to chat with you about your like food philosophy. So I've watched some of your stories and you're like how to eat clean and you'll like throw a Kit Kat on the floor, you know, <laughs> like you have this really funny, playful relationship to clean eating and the idea of clean eating. So I'd love to just get your philosophy on the good food, bad food and and how you don't necessarily focus on healthy eating. Um, so where are you at with this? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I really think the only foods that is that are not clean are foods that are, you know, have been dropped on the floor or in the trash or, uh, you know, otherwise are <laughs> dangerous to eat. But um, no, I think that taking all morality and words associated with morality out of food is really important for recovery and really important. Um, that's an important part of my platform. Um, you know, I think a lot of people start um, kind of innocuously labeling foods as like, oh, I should eat more of this, I should eat less of this. And that can quickly become rules and restrictions. And, you know, I realized that my obsession with eating clean foods was making me miserable and it wasn't helping my health. And I think it's ironic that so many people who enter into this business of trying to watch what they eat and putting that in quotes, um, end up really harming their health. Um, so I think we also have to kind of put aside this idea that clean eating is necessarily like good for your health because it's really not for a lot of people. And it definitely wasn't for me. Um, and I know that attaching moral value to food, this food is good, this food is bad, this whatever, it was keeping me stuck in this diet binge cycle. And that was my first thing where I was like, I want to get out of this. Um, it's exhausting. Um, and latching on to new food plans, like never stopped binge eating, me binge eating. It just kind of came back stronger than ever. Um, and I knew that if I wanted to get out of that cycle, I had to just equalize the way that I talked about all foods. Um, and what's really cool about our bodies is that they will naturally gravitate towards a variety of foods, towards protein rich foods, towards vegetables, you know, and I was getting in my own way by trying to get ahead of my body and say, eat these things, not these things. Um, and 
I call, you know, I have some of these things that I call my really obvious realizations, but they were like mind blowing when I started um, learning about body positivity and, and eating um, intuitive eating. And one of them was like, our bodies guide us towards a variety of foods. They totally blew my mind, you know, because I thought that I had to force myself to eat vegetables, to eat protein and to avoid sugar um, or to not eat, you know, donuts for every single meal. I thought that it was that donuts for every single meal was what my body wanted. And if I didn't force it other, you know, to do something else, then that's just all I would eat for the rest of my life. And that's <laughs> such a common misconception. <laughs> and it's a common misconception and it's a great sign that your relationship with food is a little messed up. Is a little so, messed up. Yeah. Yes. You're right. That's a, that's a good flag, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Definitely. Whenever I hear someone like respond to something that I post with like, I would just eat ice cream for every meal. I'm like, okay, you know, flag that. That's a sign that, because I don't eat ice cream for every meal. I eat ice cream very frequently, but, you know, if I eat ice cream for every meal, I start feeling pretty miserable pretty quickly. And my right. body tells me that. Yeah, your body would tell you. Yes, 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 yeah. yes. So <laughs> I think kind of taking away the moral words that we attach to food is all about just like getting out of our own way and getting out of our body's way and, and letting ourselves. I think, I think what I've done is a lot of unlearning and I think the process of becoming an intuitive eater is unlearning more than it is new learning because we're all born intuitive eaters. I work in a preschool and around kids a lot. Kids are intuitive eaters. It's all about reconnecting with our inner child. Um, and part of what we have to, part of that is, you know, looking at food the way that kids view food, which is like yummy or exciting or, you know, I'm hungry, so I eat, but it's not, there's no guilt. There's no shame. There's no morality attached. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Not until someone teaches them that, you know? Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And something that I, and you, oh yeah, you touched on um, kind of how I don't talk about healthy eating that much, or that's not like a focus of my account. I think a lot of accounts in the recovery sphere, including yours, and I think it's great, folk, like have food as a focus and talk about like, and you have a background as a chef, of course, so that makes complete sense. Um, and it's great, you know, like it's great to have resources to make healthy food and to have inspiration of things to cook. Um, but for me personally, that's just not something that I'm interested in. It's not my passion. It's never, um, you know, when I had an eating disorder, I kind of tricked myself into thinking that I was like a foodie and that yeah. I really like to like plan meals and cook. No, I don't. Like, I hate that. That is so not what I want to do with my free time. And I think it's great that other people do and that's natural. But I think it's important to say sometimes because I think it can be easy to get a picture that like everyone is, is interested in food and that everyone likes to cook, especially if you're coming from a place where you have a disordered relationship with food, you're kind of more attracted to food. And I think it's important to say that like, you don't have to like to eat healthy. You don't have to like, like to cook and you don't have to eat like beautiful things. Like it's totally fine. And if you like to do that, that's fine. But I'm very vocal about the fact that like, that's not my hobby. And like, I'm reheating burritos half the week. That's like more of my diet than like, you know, salads or like beautiful quinoa bowls. Um, and that's a personal choice that you can make. And I want people to know that like, that's just as valid a choice in recovery as is I'm going to focus on like making really beautiful, like nutrient dense, you know, bowls or wraps or whatever, which is also great. Um, but it's not, it's not everyone's natural. It's not where everyone wants to naturally kind of spend their time. And it's important to say like, you don't have to, like that might not be your thing and it's okay for food not to be your thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that I've, I've, I've discovered through doing this work with lots of women and also interviewing women for this podcast who are on the other side, um, or closer to being on the other side is that we all have really unique paths and we all have, um, things that have really worked for us and things that don't. And what I've discovered is that you want to honor your own path and honor what works for you. Like I really got that posting really beautiful pictures of food is not your thing. Cause there's not a single picture of food on your account. None. <laughs> and if I think back to my recovery journey and what helped get me here, making really beautiful pictures of foods that I was excited about and wanted to eat was really helpful for me. And both of us is both of our recovery journeys is valid. And right. I think it's really beautiful that there's a wide variety of, of ways to recover and we're exposed to that because of Instagram, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. And and one other thing that I think I see as important in terms of saying that like I'm not a foodie is because, and this has been shown in studies like the Minnesota starvation study, that eating disorders and restrictive diets hijack your relationship with food yeah. and they turn you into someone who thinks about food all the time. Yeah. When that might not be a natural state for you. Um, and so I think it's important to recognize that for many people, and I would guess even probably for you, even though you still like food, like have a different kind of relationship with food, but, um, that for many people recovery involves just feeling less excited or crazy or interested in food. You know, I'm much less interested in food than I used to be. I used to spend all this time looking at cookbooks and like I would cut out recipes and like catalog them. And for some people that might be a really normal behavior, but for me it was not. It was totally just indicative of my problems with food because when I'm in a recovered state, I have other, I just have other hobbies. Like that's cookbooks are not something that I care about. Yeah. And so I think it's important for us all to, like you said, discover the unique relationship that we have with food that is separate from the way that deprivation was making us act around food. Yeah, no, that's a, it's a very important uh, point to bring up that a lot of our foodie behaviors or obsessions with food come from the fact that we're, we have a disordered relationship. And when you're underfed, you, your body naturally, you get hungry brain. Like you're naturally thinking about food all day. And I really acknowledge that, that that's totally real. And I can even see in myself that I'm nowhere near as obsessed with food as I, I don't think about food except when like I'm hungry and then I'm like putting the bowl together and then it's like period next thing. It's not lingering like it used to be, you know? Right. Right. Totally. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of people experience. Like I used to know everything that I had eaten that day, everything that I was going to eat. Um, and I was very attuned to like new restaurants or dessert places or like this and this. And, um, once, you know, I was, my body felt satisfied, the hungry brain, I love that expression (laughs) went away. And that was just not something that I did anymore. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So a common criticism that I hear a lot, a lot, a lot, uh, is that wellness culture is the new diet culture. What do you say to that? Do you agree? Do you disagree? What are your thoughts? Yeah. So I would say it depends. Um, I think there are definitely ways to pursue wellness holistically that are outside of a diet culture framework. Um, but if you're focusing on weight, calories, cutting out food groups, um, then it would be diet culture. And you know, it's important to say that when wellness takes over your life, it's not wellness anymore. It's not keeping you well. Um, 
the thing that I, the thing that, that the most helpful thing for me in thinking about food and nutrition is my relationship with food comes first. I think your relationship with food has to come first and anything else about nutrient value and, you know, feeling, feeding yourself a certain way that comes second. And so I think, you know, every time someone asks me, well, you know, I'm, I'm binge eating a lot and I'm doing this, but like, I'm not eating any green beans and I'm like really worried about it. And it's like, focus on your relationship with food first, not do anything that will undermine your relationship with food until you've got that. And once you've got that, then, you know, I think it's reasonable to explore and to be like, okay, I noticed that like, it's hard for me to eat vegetables. Like, let me figure out some ways to like cook vegetables or incorporate them into my life. Or, like, I noticed that, like, I'm not really moving my body very much. And that's something that I want to do. So like, let me figure out a way to do that. Um, but I think the first thing that we have to think about, the first plank is relationship. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's a good way to figure out whether you can take on steps kind of like in, to, in wellness culture is like, how do you feel about food and your body? And once you've kind of healed that, then I think it can be very normal and healthy to, um, you know, do various things like exercise or, um, you know, eat certain foods or kind of try to eat more locally, et cetera, et cetera. I think you have to ask yourself, you know, am I thinking about food all the time? Do I worry about what I eat? Am I saying no to social functions because I'm unsure or afraid of the food that will be offered there? You know, am I judging myself based on what I eat? Is that harming my relationship with myself or my body? Do I get anxious if I can't work out? And if your answer is yes, then that's what you focus on first. Right. And if you're, and if you're at a point where you can read through those questions and say, no, like I'm not really in that place anymore. Then I think you kind of have like the green, the green light to incorporate wellness into your life. So yeah, yeah I think yeah. it's just individual. Yeah, I think it's totally individual. And I think like if, if a mental and emotional health isn't a part of the equation, then it's like you said, it's not actually really healthy for you. Yeah. Right. We get so tied up in this definition of health as like food and exercise and that's it. And physical and body, like, like looking oh, yeah, small. physical yeah. and, and weight. It's crazy because I'm like, I am so much healthier now, yeah. um, you know, than I was when I was eating really quote unquote healthy foods and exercising all the time. Um, my mental health is just so much better. My relationships are so much stronger. My relationship with my body is so much better. And those are all components of health. You know, mental health is health. Um, you know, loneliness is one of the greatest risk factors for mortality when you get older, you know, yeah. things that take away from your ability to have meaningful relationships with people, that's not good for your health. Um, stress is really not good for your health. And any relationship, anything that you're doing with food that is putting chronic stress on, you know, in your mind and your body, so bad for your health. So, so, so bad. Yeah. And like, yeah. I, I think I've said this before on the podcast, but yeah, this is why solitary confinement is a punishment in prison because being alone is really bad for your health. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of eating disorder behaviors or, you know, extreme behaviors that are, that are kind of talked about in wellness culture, different diets, whatever, they're isolating. They're isolating. You know, like, it is diet advice, like that I've read so many times in magazines and books to not go to social functions because you're worried about what you'll eat there. That is pretty common standard advice. And that's crazy. Or to, you know, not eat with your family and, you know, make your food separately, to grocery shop separately, to, um, you know, to go to the gym instead of happy hour with your friends. I mean, that's advice. And, and it's so confusing because it's like, how is that 
wellness advice. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just really confusing. Like I think that depending on who's interpreting that message, it can really have a, a negative effect. Um, I think it's just one thing intuitive being taught me is that there are a few solutions that are truly for everyone besides like sleep, you know, drinking water, eating enough food. We have localized answers. So the answer to, you know, what is going to make me feel better is an answer for me. And it's not necessarily an answer for my roommate or um, my friend or my mom, you know, and I think it's really hard because we live in a society in which we're so tempted to compare ourselves to every single other person around us. It's hard to realize like, you know, my neighbor might be doing said diet and you know what, there's a chance that she's doing it in a healthy way and actually feels like, okay, and fine and normal, but I can't, that's not a solution for me. Um, and I think we really have to be powerful about saying that might be something that works for someone else, but given my history and my experience and my relationship with food, that is not an option for me. And we have to be bold in, in kind of giving ourselves that space to say that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's so, in, it's so important. It's really beautiful what you said. And I completely massively agree with you. Like you have to, you just have to be honest with yourself, you know, and honor your own path. Like we have said a couple of times. Um, so we kind of talked about this a little bit in the beginning about some things that made a difference for you on your food and body image type of journey, but are there anything, any other things besides following body positive accounts and posting pictures of yourself that really helped you? Yeah. I mean, um, exposure theory, we talked about, um, you know, definitely just following accounts with people who kind of looked like me and people who were in larger bodies than mine and people who were living confidently in their larger bodies. Um, that was important for me to see. Something that I think about is every time you see an image that makes you uncomfortable because it's, you know, the person is in a larger body or like it's, you know, stomach fat and you're uncomfortable seeing your own, like every time, and this is what I did a lot at the beginning with pictures of myself and with other people, every time I saw an image that made me uncomfortable, I would just stop and I would take a deep breath and I would look at it for five seconds. And I think just forcing yourself to look at your body, other people's bodies, whatever, and really with the sense of curiosity, why does this make me uncomfortable? And you don't have to have the answer, but just try looking at it. And you'll be surprised at how much the repetitive practice of forcing yourself to look at things that make you uncomfortable really helps. Um, so that was big for me. Um, you know, and also my friends really modeled pretty normal intuitive eating around me. And that was really helpful. Um, that was something I was lucky in, in high school. Um, but I think it is important to find people. A lot of people tell me it's easier for them to like eat with guys for a while because oftentimes men have more just intuitive, natural. And, and if, if it's hard for you to have lunch with a certain friend or with someone who kind of has a difficult, you know, you don't have to have lunch with them. Find some, find some other forum to hang out with them in, but try to surround yourself with people when you're eating, particularly who have intuitive, normal relationships with food. Um, I think it's important to, to take that step and to also be okay saying like, you know, so-and-so she's someone that's, and I said this about people in my life, in my head, it's hard for me to eat with this person. So I'm not going to eat with her. I'm going to hang out with her in these other forms. Um, and yeah. And, and I think also it's just important to realize that like, you know, I, I realize that I, I love everyone in my life for reasons that have nothing to do with their physical bodies. And again, this is one of those things that seems obvious, but it's hard to convince ourselves that, wow, the people in my life actually really love me and care about me because of the person that I am. And they couldn't care less if I gained 50 pounds or whatever. Um, and that's something that I think 
it's important to remind yourself of as much as you can. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I always will ask my clients and on Instagram, like think about the people you love in your life. Think about them for a minute. What percentage of it is because they're nice to look at? And like often it's like little to none. Like yeah. maybe you think your boyfriend's like sexy as fuck and that's great, good for you. But for the most part, you like, that's like not part of the equation. And so I think intellectually we understand that, but because appearance is so emotionally charged for women, I think our emotional body takes a little bit time to catch up to that intellectual awareness. Totally. Yeah. 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 And I think that's something that's true also just in terms of body positivity, it's much easier to intellectually understand that people in all bodies should have complete autonomy and rights and choice and no one should be shamed for the body they live in. But you often get to that point a lot faster than you get to the point where you stop criticizing your own body and judging your own body and telling yourself that you actually deserve to live in the in your body. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely think sometimes we can, we can, allow those messages to ring true for others, but we still really struggle to have them be true for ourselves. Yeah. Uh, all right. So last question, what advice do you have for your 15 year old self? Yeah. So, you know, some of the stuff we already touched on and definitely everything, this is really the lens through which I try to run in my account. Um, but I think it's just, it's so important for me to provide the alternative for my 15 year old self and to say, look, you can be happy in a body that you, that's a lot larger than the body that you think you want to have. Um, you know, you can live a life where you do not think about food until you're hungry. You do not track, you do not have a mental calorie tech count. You are not waking up at 5am trying to fit in a workout while you're traveling. Um, you know, it's possible to, and it's achievable to live a life that's completely free from concerns about food in your body. Um, you know, and I just wish, I want people to know that, I just feel like I didn't know that that wasn't an option. I really thought that what I did was normal. I really thought that it was so normal to be anxious about working out, to be anxious about eating. Um, and it is normal in the sense that a lot of people do it, but it's not normal in the sense that that's not how humans are supposed to work. And that's not how the brain has developed to think about these things for most of human history. And that's not the way that you have to live your life. Um, and I just want my 15-year-old self to know that there is an alternative and that, you know, being fit or being thin are never the things that are going to bring you happiness. And I want her to realize how much brain space worrying about those things is taking away. Um, you know, I think about the life that I lead now and all the different friends and activities and projects and just like things that I'm involved in. There is no way, no way that I could do what I do now if I was still tracking my food, if I was still dieting, if I was still obsessed with fitness, you know, sometimes we don't really realize what that obsession, what that's taking away from. And I want everyone to kind of think about like, what would they be doing with that time if they didn't have to spend it focused on their food and their bodies? And, you know, and know that, you know, there's, there's a life that you can live where that's, that's out of the picture and you just get to be the fullest expression of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You said so many beautiful things <laughs> that lots of women need to hear age 15 and beyond for sure. Thank you so much for being on the show, Naomi, where can everybody find you? And is there any last thing you'd like to add? Yeah. Thank you so much. It was, this was a lot of fun. Time flies. Um, so you can find me on Instagram at diet culture sucks. And by the time this goes out, I will also have a website, um, which is 
yeah, I got the domain name dietculturesucks.com, which is wow. amazing and kind of a dream. So that will be my blog. So I will be having different blog posts on that and you can learn a little bit about me and um, yeah, and you can contact me on there. DM is also a pretty good place to reach me. I try to respond to everything. Um, so yeah, anyway, thank you so much. And I think, yeah, we covered everything that I would have wanted to talk about. <laughs> Yay. Well, awesome. Be sure to follow Naomi online. Um, yeah, her Instagram account is full of lots of good, good gems for all women. Uh, so thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. And that's our show. I hope you guys loved it. I adore Naomi. She is totally a intelligent lady. And I loved all of the perspectives that she shared and the things that really made a difference for her. It's possible that they'll make a difference for you. And one of the things that I was thinking about when I was editing our podcast was how she said she's she's studying politics and wants to have a career in politics. And I was thinking about employment discrimination laws. And employment discrimination laws seek to prevent discrimination on the basis of race, sex, sexual orientation, religion, uh, national origin, like where, whatever country you're from, uh, physical disabilities, and age by employers. And discrimination, like discriminatory practices, include biases in promotion, job assignment, uh, hiring, termination, compensation, retaliation, and various forms of harassment. And right now, body size isn't a recognized form of discrimination, even though people are very much discriminated against on the basis of appearance in jobs or in in areas of employment. And I was thinking how cool it would be if Naomi merged her passions and got body size and fatness uh, on the ballot to be added to the list of forms of discrimination that are illegal in in hiring. Just throwing it out there. I was thinking about that, not to put any pressure on you, Naomi. I imagine you'll hear this um, <laughs> or that you'll you'll listen to it. Uh, I was just thinking about like that would be that would be amazing uh, to have happen. Whether Naomi does that or someone else does that, um, I think that would be a really great thing to be added to uh, the forms of discrimination uh, because I do think that weight discrimination uh, is real. I think it's real um, in our world. Anyways, hope you loved the podcast episode and thank you so much to those of you who have recently left kind, thoughtful reviews on iTunes. Um Thank you. It means so much to me that you're enjoying the podcast. And if you weren't enjoying it and if it wasn't helping you, I would stop doing it. So I'm really glad that it's making a difference for you because I really love to record these podcasts and I, and I really love having these conversations with other people in this field that I respect and that I'm learning from right along with you. Like if you've learned something from a guest on this show, uh, you're not alone. I too have been learning with every woman that I have spoken with. And perhaps one day we'll have some, we'll have more men on here. I know we have had my boyfriend on here. Maybe we'll have some more men on in the future. Anyways, love y'all. Uh, hope you're having a great day and I will see you next week. Bye.